It's all good, baby, baby. Uh, it was all a dream. I used to read Word Up magazine. Something pepper and heavy D up in the limousine. Hanging pictures on my wall. Every Saturday, rap attack, Mr. Magic Molly Mall. And we back, homies. I know I missed another week. I'm telling you people, I'm not a podcaster. I do a podcast. I'm not a podcaster. I miss occasionally, and I hope that you miss me too. I hope you listen to every episode that I publish, but whenever I don't upload one, that you kind of think about me a little bit and you get a little bit frustrated. Because <laughs> I've been there. I've been plenty frustrated when people don't upload podcasts. But you didn't come here to hear me talk about what frustrates me. Well, maybe you did. I don't know. I typically talk about what frustrates me anyway. My apologies for being gone. I'm back now. For those of you who don't know, my name is Brandon Harper, and you're listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Although this podcast doesn't have much to do with Life in Paradise, it used to. And I'm too lazy and too dumb and too ignorant to change it over to its own little thing. Maybe one day I will. I say this because I got a bad review. So if you're here to hear about travel and adventure, you might want to check something else or stick around and see what it's all about. But yeah, I got my first bad review. Anyway, this is just the intro. I come here about once or twice every week or two or three to get everything off my chest. I'm just a regular dude with a regular job and tons and tons of opinions. A lot of people don't understand me and I'm okay with that because we can have different opinions and still be friends. I mainly talk about what I think about which is generally politics, business, cryptocurrency, dog training, and, and and that's about it. A little bit of complaining here and there. So thanks for tuning in. I encourage you to keep listening if you never have. And if there's one thing you'll learn about me, it's that I don't do pre-recorded intros. So sit back, relax, and let me fly the sleigh for about the next 30 to 45 minutes. Genesis. When I was dead broke, man, I couldn't picture this. 50-inch screen, money green, leather sofa. Got two rides, a limousine with a chauffeur. Phone till about 2G flat. No need to worry, my accountant handles that. And my whole crew is lounging. Celebrating every day, no more public housing. Thinking back on my one-room shack. Now my mom pimps a act with me on the back. And she loves to show me off, of course. Smiles every time my face is up in the source. We used to fuss when the landlord dissed us No heat, wonder why Christmas missed us Birthdays was the worst days Now we sip champagne when we thirsty uh, Damn right I like the life I live Cause the What's up all my homies? For those of you who didn't bail on me and you're back to keep listening, I appreciate it Thanks to all you guys, I'm just shooting up in the podcast rankings Advertisers are contacting me left and right I just can't take all their calls I'm just kidding <laughs> My podcast is so weak. You know what? I don't care. I don't care. I come here to express my opinions, and that's what I do. And if people like it, they'll listen. If they don't, they don't. If nothing else, I'll have something to play for my grandkids, 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 if I ever have kids. So one thing that's been on my list of things to talk about is our family reunion. It was a couple weeks ago, and for those of you who don't know me, well, for those of you who do know me, you know how often our family reunites. For those of you who don't know me, let's just say it's minimum once a year. This is pre-COVID times. 
sometimes three, sometimes four. Sometimes we have the old people gathering. Sometimes we have the young people gathering. All that you need to know is that we reunite a lot. So a couple of weeks ago was our first real family reunion. It's so hard to say family reunion. I just call it a family union. But it's the first one we had since COVID. And I, it was kind of nice. Or actually, it was very nice. It was refreshing. No one said anything about the mask. No one said anything about the vaccine. Nobody said anything about COVID. It was just a family get-together where we all enjoyed hanging out. And we ate a bunch of sweets and great food. So, I don't know. It felt very nice. I kind of got the feeling, okay, maybe we, we're going back to like doing things the way they were. And so... I voluntarily, before the reunion, went out and got a COVID test because I thought, you know what? Testing is good. Testing is a good thing. I'm going to be around a bunch of people who are elderly who, remember, 97% of the people that die from COVID are over the age of 74. I'm sorry, 99.7% of the people who die from COVID are over the age of 74. So with those statistics in mind, I thought, you know what? I'm going to go get tested. And so I did. The Thursday before the reunion, I went and got tested. I had, I had, this is the first time I've ever been tested. And I had the one where they walk up to your vehicle, they jam the Q-tip up your nose, they swirl it around, then they do the other side, they swirl it around, then they do it again. It wasn't fun, but it was quick, painless. I was negative, didn't have the COVIDs, good to go to the reunion. And I didn't really tell anyone, I kind of just kept it to myself because really, it's nobody's business. Had I tested positive, I would have said, hey guys, I got the COVIDs, I'm staying home. And everyone would have liked that. What I don't think is, is appropriate would have been if someone would have said, hey, you're required to have this test or um, everyone who's not vaccinated, you have to get the COVID test to come to the family reunion. I probably wouldn't have gone. Well, let me take that back. I wouldn't have gone. So I'm happy to do things voluntarily. I'm happy to submit to the Hale Fauci regime if, if the statistics prove to me that it makes sense. I'm just going on statistics. I'm not going if I feel comfortable, how everyone feels. I'm so tick and tired of people operating on how they feel and making rules based on how they feel. It just sounds silly. It's like a bunch of children making rules based on how they feel because they feel like we just need to do something. Stop making rules on how you feel. Other people don't feel the same way as you. I want to take a second to unpack this a little bit. I want to explore the idea of making rules based on feelings. And this is, what we're, this is what we've been doing with COVID because nobody talks about any side effects. No one talks about any statistics. No one talks about that. So what I want to start out with is I want to rewind time a little bit. I want to go back or, or take yourself back to when COVID first came out and everyone was terrified and panicked and a lot of people still are, but people would find a reason why to claim that they're high risk or they felt the need to justify to other people why they're going to wear the mask or why everyone should wear their mask. So they made decisions based on how they felt. And, and this was proven to me when I would ask people that were capable of having conversations with me without getting furious. I would say, when will you stop wearing the mask? Will you wait for someone to tell you or will you just do it? And most of them were like, well, I don't know. It's kind of over time. It's just kind of how I feel, you know? And so I understand that. I understand that we all feel differently. What I wish would happen or what, I wish would have happened, that's why English is hard right there, those kinds of sentences, was that somebody would have had the, the mindset to evaluate how the people feel who don't agree with them. And since they don't have statistics to argue feelings, they shouldn't 
be making rules or requiring people to operate under some some realm of, of governance because of how they feel. And personally, I've felt comfortable with the idea of COVID from a very, very early stage. And so I didn't feel the need to wear a mask. I didn't feel the need to require people to wear masks. I'm happy for people to wear their own masks, but I wasn't willing to make rules based on how I felt or how I didn't feel. It becomes almost impossible to argue with someone that their feelings are invalid when you use statistics and they use feelings because they don't have a way to prove to you that their concern is valid. I want you to think about what would happen if you ran into a grocery store where I would assume that a majority of the people aren't wearing masks these days and you ran around and you were the mask police just like that person that you saw a year ago would be running around saying, here, put this mask on. You need to wear a mask. Sir, put your mask on. Sir, put your mask on. So imagine if you started doing that today. What kind of reaction you would get from people would probably be more along the lines of, hey, hey, bro, chill. Like, we're kind of over that. Or stop telling me what to do. I'm fine. It's my choice. But if you think about it, nothing has really changed, okay? Nothing's changed. Now, you might say, yeah, but we have the vaccine now. But remember, the vaccine people are starting to lose faith in. The airlines are now requiring, or as of November 8th, you will have to have a, a negative COVID test to enter the U.S. regardless of whether you're vaccinated. So the whole idea of, we have the vaccination now, isn't, isn't really valid because we're still requiring people to have the test before they come in. So if you were to run up to some people in the grocery store and demand that they put their mask on, they would give some resistance. But we have to keep in mind that nothing's changed. They just feel differently than what they used to. They've decided not to wear the mask anymore. For whatever reason, they now feel safe. And so for you to approach them and, and tell them that they need to do something or, or fall into compliance, it's not really fair because you're now telling them that their timeline is invalid and that they're wrong. But we were never told by the CDC to not wear masks. Well, we were, but then the, the political football players flipped out and, and rescinded that. So we'll, we'll just pretend like the CDC never came out and said there's no need to wear masks. So we'll, let's just pretend that happened. And so since nobody has really come out and said stop wearing masks, but a lot of people are still stopping. And this same cycle is going to happen with a vaccine. Ten years from now, I presume no one will really get the vaccine anymore. It'll be done. We'll talk about COVID. We'll laugh about it. Hopefully families won't be divided for too long. And then we're going to judge people for getting the vaccine because nothing really changed other than time and the way people feel. Here's some statistical information that will, that will further perpetuate my hypothetical theory. So if you look for the, at the numbers of uh, New Oasis County or Corpus Christi, when I say look at the numbers, I, we all know the charts that show the case count and the death count. And so I keep a close eye on this because I want to know what the trends are doing. And if you look at the one for Corpus Christi, which... We have a population of about 400,000 people in the immediate area. And back in, I think it was like July, June, July, the numbers around here, they, they hit an upward trend and they started climbing rapidly. It was the old hockey stick curve, you know, straight up. And this is right when the Delta was making the rounds. But after about, I don't know, three, four weeks of parabolic straight up numbers, the chart crested and they started falling back down just as fast as it spread. Remember, I'm not against the vaccine. I'm just against mandates. So the numbers started falling back down. And eventually, they've now leveled back off to very, very negligible, small. We're talking four to 15 cases per day now of, uh, out of 400,000 people. And so immediately I thought, okay, what's changed? What have we done during this time where the numbers spiked? And 
you don't even have to be familiar with statistics or data. Just think of the, a chart that goes up and comes back down. And after thinking about it, nothing, nothing had changed. The, the people have already been vaccinated who want to be vaccinated. There was no lockdown. There was no change in the mask requirements. So the only logical thing that, and I would encourage someone who maybe knows statistics better than I do or understands this stuff to let me know if I'm wrong. But my theory is that, that it made its way through the community in a very, very short amount of time. And I think, I truly believe that a very, very high percentage of the people get it and show no symptoms. And the reason that I think that is because the only reason people get tested is that they have symptoms. And unless you get the antibodies test, which I won't go down that rabbit hole, but you get what I'm saying. I'd like to know of all the people who have been tested for antibodies, what percentage of them have them and what percentage don't. That would give us a very clear picture about the number of people who carry the virus but show no symptoms. All that to say, I think it's very important to keep in mind that everyone has their own timeline. Everyone has their own threshold of acceptability. At what point do you think it's okay to not wear a mask? And at what point do you think it'll be okay not to get the vaccine booster? And I think it's important for everyone to realize that everyone has their own threshold. And this doesn't just apply to COVID and the vaccine. This applies to everything in every aspect of our lives and everything that we do. We all have our own threshold of acceptability. Just take, for example, if we're out at a bar, me and you, we're sitting there talking and somebody comes up and they walk up to us and they stand aside and they slap you in the face, and they slap me in the face. We both have a point at which we'll react differently. Now, depending on who you are, you may pull out your mace and spray him, or you may take out your gun, and you may shoot him, or you may ignore him. You may walk off and go get help, and I would react totally differently, and that's based on a lot of things. It's based on our confidence to deal with the situation. It's based on our ability to, to accurately predict what's going to happen next if we do one thing or do another. So all these factors come into play, to help us make a decision on how to react to something. And, and your reaction and my reaction could very well be different, but that doesn't mean that one's right and one's wrong. The only thing I ask is that you don't expect me to act the same way that you would act. I think you get the idea. We're close to it. I really would have a hard time imagining someone listening to this and, and also thinking that, nope, we need to all follow the exact same set of standards and mandates and rules about this whole thing. I've been looking really hard for someone that really thinks that the mandates, the federal vaccine mandates are a good idea, I have not been able to find one person other than Geraldo Rivera that thinks the government mandate is a good plan. And I've asked all of my left-leaning friends, all the people who hate Trump, which I also think it's funny that y'all remember this, this whole vaccine is Trump's deal. I feel like if we could remind people of that, maybe they wouldn't be so emphatic about it. But just keep in mind that this... I don't want to say this whole thing's about profit, but there is a lot about profit in this whole thing. I've covered it before. I've talked about it. Just, just believe me, trust me, and admit that it would be hard to believe that profit is not involved. Just take a listen to this little montage. Just listen. Brought to you by Pfizer. Good Morning America is brought to you by Pfizer. CBS Health Watch sponsored by Pfizer. Anderson Cooper 360. Brought to you by Pfizer. ABC News Nightline. Brought to you by Pfizer. Making a difference. Brought to you by Pfizer. CNN Tonight. Brought to you by Pfizer. Early start. Brought to you by Pfizer. Friday night on Aaron Burnett out front.
Brought to you by Pfizer. This week with George Stephanopoulos is brought to you by Pfizer. This letter report brought to you by Pfizer. Today's countdown to the royal wedding is brought to you by Pfizer. And now a CBS Sports update brought to you by Pfizer. Meet the press. Data download. Brought to you by Pfizer. This portion of CBS This Morning sponsored by Pfizer. On how to find the hidden sugars in the American family diet. Sponsored by Pfizer. And there's people out there saying... This whole thing isn't about money. We just want everyone to be safe and keep everyone safe and make everyone feel safe and comfortable. Okay, you keep on believing that. You keep on buying the test and pumping money into these guys' pockets. That's fine. I won't. But you can. On second thought, I am going to go a little bit into the weeds on the whole financial thing. So the way that this thing works is that the government pays Pfizer for producing the vaccine. And this applies to the other, other manufacturers as well. But let's just use Pfizer. So the government pays them or they commit to buying X number of vaccines. So now Pfizer gets the money from the government. What do they do? They go invest that to grow their business. They've recently hired 22, I think 22 or 26 lobbying firms to help. So a lobbying firm helps make sure that the laws created help your business. I know it sounds silly. If, it, if you explained it to a 10 year old, they would say it's the dumbest idea ever. But either way, that's what lobbying firms do. They cost tons of money. So Pfizer has secured 22 lobbying firms to invoke laws or to push policy that helps their business. That's one thing. So the government gives them money. They hire lobbying firms. They also go to the, these big media conglomerates and they say, hey, guess what? We'd like to buy $4 bazillion worth of advertising. Media conglomerates lick their chops and they say, perfect. We will plaster your logo everywhere. So now the media companies have an incentive for Pfizer to keep making money so that they will keep buying advertising so that the media conglomerates will keep selling advertising. You see how that works? It's a win-win for both people. As long as we're convincing the general public to keep taking the vaccine. And you might ask yourself, well, what about the government? How do they win? That's simple. They get reelected. They were in office when the vaccine was out. And they made sure that everyone got that vaccine so that we could get back to work, so that we could pay more taxes, so that we could fund people who come here illegal? No, 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 that's not why. But they really just care about getting reelected, which is what I always say. And so they can now can take credit for, the, vac for the, um, the virus going away whenever they're in office. So just reelect me. They solved the virus. They fixed the world's problems in 2021. Once again, I'm not against the vaccine. I'm against the vaccine mandate. I'm going to keep saying that because there'll be people out there who think... Well, you're so against the vaccine. You're just a right Republican conspiracy theorist against the vaccine. I bet you wouldn't even take a test to go for family holidays if they wanted you to. Nope, that's not right. I already told you I got voluntarily tested. So go on now. The only reason I keep talking about this stuff, guys, is because I feel the need to, to give a point of view that a lot of people don't understand, you know? Uh, they think that you won't go get a test to enter something or to go somewhere just because that's your protest. And that's your God-given right to not get tested. And that's not the case at all. There's nuances. There's intricacies. For me, what it boils down to is I will not be forced to do something to participate in something if I don't think that there's a need for it. I won't do it. I would just rather not go. I would rather not go to a gathering where everyone's going to be worried about whether or not who's been vaccinated and who hasn't been vaccinated and who's holding the baby and who's not holding the baby. It's just better if people just don't go. Remember back when it was okay to just stay home? And then now 
whenever people are just staying home because they don't want to participate in all these rules and regulations, they're doing the wrong thing. I just want you guys to see the hypocrisy here because this has been double talk from, from day one. All the fault lies on the people who are calling for action. I'm going to leave it at that. Okay, I'm going to take a COVID break. Every podcast when I start out, I think to myself, maybe I should try to not talk about COVID this time. And I know I end up talking about it, but like I said, I just feel like it's important to share my sentiments because oftentimes those who claim to not be judgmental are the most judgmental. And people assume things and assume things about me and my reactions, which are entirely incorrect. So that's why I feel the need to always bring it up. But moving on, last weekend, well, let me back up a little bit. I'm not the guy who just tends to rush out and take their dogs to the vet every time something goes wrong. Been around dogs my whole life. I know how resilient their immune systems are. I know, at least I feel like I know when it's time to take a dog to the vet. And typically it's a little bit later than the average person, especially the fur mommies. But last weekend I found a, a hole in Gypsy's skin. It was weird. It was like a little hole there and you could see her muscle. Like it was an entirely cut hole in her skin. I don't know how else, how else to explain it. And I was like, oh man, is this one of these bot flies that came out of her body or is this some kind of infection? What is this? So I sent a picture to a guy who works for us, girlfriend who's a vet. And she was like, yeah, she needs to probably get it taken care of, uh, take her to the vet. This was on Saturday night. So she was like, probably needs to get taken care of ASAP. Well, I didn't go Saturday night. And Sunday morning, I took her into the vet. When I got there, I said, hey, uh, I'm in a big hurry. I'm running around. I got all kinds of things to do today. Can I just leave her here? Sorry, sir, we don't do that. We don't, you can't leave him here. And I go, well, I, I talked to Dr. Bass, and she said, there's a note on my account saying that I, I could leave her here. She types out the key- keyboard, pounds on a little bit. Okay, you can go back to the other room for I was like, okay, if, if in fact it's going to be quick, I'll just stay. I'll wait. And there's no one in the lobby. This is at 8 o'clock on a Sunday morning. Not one person in the lobby, like two cars in the parking lot. And I go, if it's going to be quick, I can wait. And they go, oh, it should be quick. There's, there's no one here. I said, okay. So I go in there. Vet tech immediately comes in, looks her over, pats her up, says, okay, I'll go get the doctor. 45 minutes later, the doctor comes strolling in with her face diaper on. And I go, hey, just so you know, I'm in a big hurry. Um, I, I've been in here for about 45 minutes. The faster we can get this done, the better. And that lady looked at me, and all I can read was her eyes. I couldn't see her facial expression. So she looked at me with her eyes, and it seems to me like it would have been equivalent to the reaction of me looking at her and going, so I hope your baby dies. Because she looked at me with like lasers that burned right through me. And I was like, well, I, I, I mean, I, uh, uh, I'm just saying like you can go fast. You don't have to worry about the, the bedside manner and all that. Let's just bam, bam, let's go. And she turns around and walks out and goes, I'll go get a prescription before she even looked at the dog. And I thought to myself, like, what, what is wrong with you people? Why are you so sensitive? Why do you have no regard for my time and all the regard for your time? And so I didn't really react to her. She sent the vet tech back in. I explained the situation to the vet tech. Then the vet comes back in. It takes them about a minute and a half to look at her. They come back, they give me the medicine. I leave 300 something dollars later, and I realized I'm never going back to this vet. This is about the fifth time I've been there, and every single time, it's a different vet, a different process, and it's just, it's just a corporate environment. And, and I got to the point where I'm thinking, hey, I'm not doing this anymore. I want to find a vet who knows me. I want to find a vet who knows my dogs. I want to find a vet who understands my threshold for what I'll do for treatment, what I won't do, which I have insurance on my dog, so I'll do quite a bit if it needs to be done. 
but I'm not going to do it just because I have insurance. That's why insurance rates are high. And so I realized how important it was to me that I maybe don't have the absolute best technology in care because this particular vet is by far the most advanced in town. They have the best equipment. But I've realized it's not worth it. It's not having access to those things doesn't happen frequently enough to justify how much of a hassle it is to deal with these people. If you try to call in and make an appointment, they're like, oh, we're four weeks out. At four weeks out, if you, if you want to specify a doctor, you might be six weeks out. And I just, it's just not for me. I understand there's people out there that don't care. I don't know why or how, but whatever, that's on them. But you can clearly tell that these people are coached to try to, to sell you more services and send you home with prescription medicine. They, they tried to send me home with some painkiller for a gypsy, and she was acting totally fine. The thing didn't hurt her. It didn't slow her down one bit. And they were like, well, we're going to send you home with some painkiller. And I go, no, I'm not, I don't need any painkiller. And they looked at me like they thought I was like some villain. So I've started looking for a new vet. I think I've found one that's kind of like a country vet, but he's a good old Aggie. And uh, I just think that's what I need. And so I encourage everyone to find a vet that fits your lifestyle and not one that doesn't value your time. You know, that's the biggest thing to me is that they don't value your time. You're supposed to have all the value in the world and the respect for their time, but they don't have to value your time. I remember during COVID, I had to go take one of the dogs one time, and it was like 11 o'clock at night. I don't remember. I talked about it on here. And I had to sit in my truck. They wouldn't even let you in the lobby. So they come out, they get the dog, they take the dog in, and you sit and wait in your truck. And then when you call and ask how much longer it's going to be, they get all pissy with you. And they won't let you leave. It just makes no sense to me. They're just doing what's best for them. I get it. Like, that's fine. I just, I'm not willing to pay extra for that. I've been saying for about the last 15 years, and, and I could be wrong. It may never come true. But I suspect one day people will stop shopping on price as much and more start shopping on services. Well, I was a tongue twister. And that's kind of where I am. Like, it's not important to me that I have the absolute cheapest price. It's important to me that I deal with people who know what they're talking about. I want them to know more than I do. There's another, nothing frustrating than going into Home Depot and going into the plumbing department and asking the guy, you know, a technical question, and they don't know. That's frustrating to me. I want to go there. I want to deal with someone who knows more than me that can solve my problems and get me out of there because I value my time, and I don't want to spend my time wandering around Home Depot trying to solve my own problems. I know. I'm high maintenance. I get it. But I'm willing to pay for it. Speaking of high maintenance and paying for things, I want to clarify something. I, I went back and listened to the last podcast that I posted, and I made reference there to a quote-unquote rich person party. <laughs> and I wanted to clarify that I don't, <laughs> I don't get invited to these rich people parties because I'm a rich person. In fact, I am not a rich person. There's always someone wealthier. There's always someone more poor, but there's always someone wealthier. And I understand that, and I'm okay with that. But I do get invited to go to these get-togethers because... Whenever you own a brewery, everyone thinks you're cooler than you really are. They don't realize how much work it is and how little money you make. They just want to have the guy who owns a brewery at their party. So I get invited to go to these things. So I, I'm not going to go back into the whole story. I just wanted to clear up, like, I'm not the kind of person who seeks out these types of events. I would rather not go. I just go to them because I feel like I kind of have to sometimes. Pragmatism, as they say. Another thing I want to talk about, since I talk about doing business a lot, and, and how business works and the way things work. I want to talk about doing business in the U.S. compared to doing business in a foreign country, particularly Nicaragua, because that's the only foreign country that I have experience doing business in. So without going into all the details as to why, I'm going to give you a, just a brief rundown on the, 
the type of people, and I know that sounds like generalizing, but the, the type of people who do business in Nicaragua are different than the business people here. And every country has their own business culture. But doing business in Nicaragua is frustrating for people like me because, number one, everything happens at a very, very slow pace. Uh, and, and there's no way to speed things up, and there's no accommodating for you the person who's entering the process. Another thing is that there's no defined processes. So for certain things, I mean, obviously, if you're trying to register a car, there's a defined process. But what you'll find is you'll get inconsistencies in what's needed to complete this process. You'll go one day, and they'll say you need these papers, and you go back, and they'll say, nope, those are wrong, you need those. And it just goes on and on and on. And anyone who's done business there will tell you this. And all, the, all those types of things happen kind of at a, at a smaller level. But as you go up in the business world, it becomes, it becomes more and more corrupt. And what ends up happening is that as you start to make money or you become successful, people will put a target on your back. And the, the Nicaraguans view the, the gringo, the white guy, coming in there with all his money and being able to outperform everyone because he has more money and because he's a gringo, and all of his gringo friends patronize his business. What they fail to recognize is the average, Amer- average American business person is, is more efficient, more creative, and a little bit harder working. But instead of accepting that and challenging it, they will, uh, they'll go pay people to create problems for your business. And I know this seems unrealistic and unfathomable because it would, typically doesn't happen in the U.S., but you could easily go pay some authority to interrupt someone's business. It happened to us. And this is how a majority of countries are, especially the poorer ones. If someone comes in that they believe is taking their business, they don't, they don't view it as, as them being out-innovated, outworked. Uh, they view it as you're stealing their, their work and you're a foreigner. You don't have a right to do that. So that's the main reason why I got out of that country. I still have Nika Sail and Surf, um, but... I will no longer invest any money in that country. Probably won't invest any money in any foreign country unless I buy a house for my own use. But um, I've just, the U.S. has more opportunities than either country. And it took me traveling around the world to figure that out. There's certain times in the U.S. where I feel like bashing my head against the wall. Uh, normally it has to do with taxing and tax authorities because it just gets worse and worse and worse every year. I heard something interesting the other day that the first income tax, I think it was 1913, was for 1%, 1% of your income. And that's if you made over $3,000 per year, which is the equivalent of $80,000 per year now. And so the tax came about and they said, this is just temporary. Once we get things stabilized, we're going to take it away. And look where we are now. The other day I wrote on a whiteboard in the office, all the taxes, there was nine, nine different forms of taxes plus the permits that we have to buy. So I'd be lying if I, if I th- said that that wasn't crippling. It's pretty tough. It's pretty tough to see you work hard and take risks and lose money and borrow money, hire people, and stress out only to just pay taxes. It, it, especially when you hear about uh, the federal government who's considering giving $450,000 to every immigrant family who was quote-unquote separated at the border last year or under Trump. And so this is what's going around. Um, I don't think it's fake news. I don't think it's made up. I don't think it's a conspiracy theory or right-wing talking points. And if it's real, I I cannot express how disappointed I will be 
if we're firing police officers for not getting an injection and giving $450,000 to illegal immigrant families? I, I don't even know how to react to that. And quite frankly, you shouldn't either. That notion is preposterous. I didn't get to finish about the vet. Well, I did. I did. I take that back. I did finish about the vet. But I wanted to finish the story because Gypsy ended up wearing a cone. They tried to sell me a cone, but I told them I had one at home. And luckily, they didn't, they didn't try to tell me that it had probably expired. But either way, I had a cone. It was a cheap plastic kind that you kind of just fold together and loop everything through each other. And it clips onto their collar, and it keeps them from being able to lick wounds. So I put it on her. This is the first time she's ever had to wear a cone. So I put it on her, and man, she was like a bull in a china cabinet. I've put it on labs before and goldens and, and lab and golden mixes, all the retrievers that I've had my whole life. You put a cone on them and they walk around and, and when they bump something, they'll kind of stop and change direction. And they kind of learn like how to wear the cone and what to not hit and what to do and what to not do. Well, a Malinois, at least from my experience from one, doesn't give a rip about that cone being on them. <laughs> Everyone thought that she was going to try to tear it off and that she would relentlessly try to tear it off of her. But no. She just destroyed it because everything she came near, she would catch that cone on. And instead of stopping and changing direction, she would just proceed with force. <laughs> so that thing would get hung up and she'd just go to push it on it and it would just cave in. And I think it fell off of her four or five times the first day. And so I tried a second day, but by lunchtime on the second day, the thing looked like it had been run over and through a hurricane. It was all falling apart and dirty been dragging on the ground. <laughs> I remember when she curled up and on the bed and, and with the cone on, I walked in there and it was all kind of falling off and it had her face all mashed up. And I just looked at her and I said out loud, I said, Gypsy, you wear that cone entirely different than a Labrador. <laughs> I said, your way is much harder, I promise. And she just looked at me out the top of her eyes. But I thought it was funny. You know, dogs, dogs have different personalities based on their breed, just like humans do. Well, I mean, obviously humans not based on that breed, but we all have different personalities. And I think it's good to understand the difference so that we can better deal with people who are not like us. There is a YouTuber that I would encourage you to check out. His name is Brandon Tatum, and he's a black guy. He's a former police officer, and he gets tons of criticism from other minorities, uh, particularly black people, and a lot of leftists because he doesn't go along with the narrative that a lot of these people do. He thinks that racism isn't really oppressive to black people. He doesn't think we should make any exceptions based on race. He doesn't think we should have affirmative action or make exceptions for people to get accepted to colleges they wouldn't get accepted to because of the color of their skin. And so I'm curious to know how people feel about this guy. People who, who feel the opposite, particularly white people who feel the opposite because you can't really call someone racist towards black people if they're also black. And so you're starting to see this, I call it a phenomenon, because typically a vast majority of the black population just voted with the left. And you're starting to see quite a few people who are not going along with that anymore. And it's been interesting to me because they get shunned from the black community because they don't go along with people just because they all have the same skin color. And that's how it should be. You should not vote for someone based on the color of their skin. And so they get criticized. They get called Uncle Tom and all this sellouts and all this stuff. But these people are highly successful. 
They've all done really well. And so my question is, what are they just lucky? Is their situation just a, a chance of circumstance, just a stroke of luck? Did they not work hard to get where they are? And, and I haven't been able to find someone on the, on the liberal left side of things that will engage with me about this, these people. I've asked all my friends, hey, what do you think about this person? And they don't answer. Hey, what are your, what's your opinion of Candace Owens? They don't say anything. And, and I just want to have a conversation with someone who tells me how you can have one individual from a group of people who claim that they're oppressed and their claim that racism keeps them down and they claim that, that a lot of their misfortune is because of the white man and you have one person who disagrees with all that what do you think about that person? Are you saying that that person just, just got lucky? Like, I don't, I really don't understand what they have to say. So in my opinion, no, of course he's not racist. He makes comments based on what he sees. He happens to have black skin, just like the rest of these other people that he's criticizing, but that doesn't make him racist. You can't, you can't hate your own kind. You can, but you definitely won't be taken seriously. This guy's taken very seriously. He's made a ton of money. He's got a bunch of YouTube followers probably all white conservatives, which also bothers me when white conservatives want to put black people on a pedestal because they agree with their sentiment and they're black. No, they, you shouldn't give anyone credit for anything based on the color of their skin. Nobody should get a leg up. Nobody should get an advantage. That's my opinion. That is my opinion. You don't have to agree. That's okay. But I find it odd that a white man that shares the same sentiments as a black man will be called racist for sharing his opinion, and the black guy won't. But they both share the same opinion. Or maybe the, these black conservatives that I'm referring to are just dumb. Maybe they just don't get it. Maybe that's the narrative, is that they just don't understand. And, you know, sometimes it, it, it has nothing to do with the person who's speaking skin color. A lot of times this can be proven based on how people reacted, the way Biden or a left-leaning Democrat says something, compared to how someone would react if someone like Trump said something. What they value and look at their budget and what they're proposing. Romney wants to let the, he said the first hundred days, he's going to let the big banks once again write their own rules. Unchain Wall Street. They're going to put you all back in chains. Oh, oh. Yeah. They're going to put you all back in chains. Uh, just so you know, they're going to put you guys back in chains. So just be ready. Yeah, in case you guys don't know, uh, they are going to put you back in chains. I'm good. You ain't got to worry about me. They're going to put y'all back in chains. <laughs> what an absolute idiot. Here's another little nugget for you. Remember, I'm just criticizing the double standard. I'm just criticizing the notion that Biden can say things and that other people can't. And to me, I don't understand it. So I'm pointing it out. Listen to this one. If you have a problem figuring out whether you're for me or Trump and you ain't black. Uh, okay. If you have a problem figuring out if you're for me or the other guy, then you're not black. Okay. So let's dissect that a little bit. If you think that the other guy is better than I am, then you must not be black. Because if you were black, if you're really black, you would know that I'm better because I'm for black people and he's a racist. The hypocrisy is staggering, guys. Like, the double standard is ridiculous. If I were on the left, if I supported the liberal movement, if I was a supporter of Biden, which no one really supports Biden, but if I were, I would be embarrassed at these types of statements. But instead, they just stay quiet. Now, 
I had no problem criticizing Trump. All the things he did, did wrong, I spoke out about it. And I say that so that I can't be characterized as a Trump humper. It's very important that we hold our leaders to a standard and not let our partisan affiliation get in the way. Because how else will we keep them honest? You know, if they have us all brainwashed to just stand over there with pom-poms and cheerlead everything that they say, they could get away with murder. And that's what they try to do. They try to manipulate us. They want us to buy so hard into their vision, speaking on both sides of the aisle, they want us to buy so hard into their vision that we will just discount anything anyone says against them. And I hope that you can see how dangerous that can get, how slippery that slope is when you have people that are willing to go to war for you without even really knowing the cause. That sound like something familiar, maybe like World War II, Hitler, Germany. These people went to battle to pursue genocide, but, and they were so sold out to Hitler and the cause that they didn't stop to question things. They didn't stop to, to call a timeout and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute, we're doing what? So that's what I try to do. I know a lot of people think that I'm just a stupid redneck, Republican, conservative, conspiracy, blah, blah, blah. But I just see a lot of hypocrisy on the left. And when I see it on the right, I'll say it. If you see something I'm missing, let me know. Because it's our, it's our job to call the bullshit. All of it. In fact, I'm going to call out someone right now. I'm going to call out Ted Cruz. And although I like Ted Cruz, I support what he does. I still call out his BS when I see it. Ted Cruz was emphatic that the European Union stop a pipeline that was underway to connect Russia and Europe, specifically Germany. But it was it's for natural gas to supply all of Western Europe with natural gas. And so he, I think he succeeded in getting the pipeline stopped. And the reason for this was to, to punish Russia. Um, I don't know all the intricacies of why everyone hates Russia. I mean, I get it. They're, they're all crooks and gangsters, so whatever. So he wanted to punish Russia. Well, fast forward. Now Western Europe has a gas shortage. Gas prices are going through the roof. I'm talking about natural gas here. And they're, they're saying, hey, can we get this pipeline finished so we can have some gas and bring our prices down? And so, yeah, so Ted Cruz, trying to punish Russia, has now punished Russia and the rest of Western Europe with super high gas prices. So we'll see how it goes. I think right now natural gas is like five times higher than what it was last year. And they're talking about shortages. Could you imagine living in some country in Western Europe that, you know, in Germany through the wintertime with no natural gas, like no heat? It's going to be brutal. I hope they get things sorted out. I really do. But if they don't, then we'll know why. We'll know that... That, that Ted Cruz was playing, paying political football. And like I always say, whenever policy gets enacted, there's always winners and there's always losers. In this case, what, the U.S. wins? We win, and now Germans don't get natural gas and Russians don't get natural gas money? Seems kind of silly to me. So anyway, I don't know. That's how I feel about Ted Cruz. That's how I feel about Biden using racist phrases or what would be deemed as racist phrases if someone else said them. Uh, it's just spinning out of control. The hypocrisy is, is getting ludicrous. So it takes people like me and you to say something. What do they say? If you see something, say something. They're about to see the air travel die. Now we're in interesting times right now, guys. We're going to see, uh, we're going to see what this vaccine mandate really does to our economy. It's like I said, from day one, I'm not scared of the virus. 
I'm scared of what this virus will do to our economy. If you haven't noticed, inflation is happening. When inflation first started, the Federal Reserve came out and they said, oh, don't worry, this is transitory. For those of you that don't know, transitory is when you have temporary inflation based on a, a, a lack of supply. In this case, would have been the supply chain interruptions. So they originally thought, oh, well, we're just prices are a little bit higher because supply is low and demand picked up faster than we thought. In reality, no, we are seeing inflation. Inflation happens when you pump money into an economy that wasn't there before. I think 40% of our dollars in circulation have been created within the last 18 months. If that's not frightening, then you don't know economics. <laughs> if that doesn't scare you, then you're not white. <laughs> in all seriousness, I'm going to keep saying this until you, well, forever probably, go buy Bitcoin, go buy Bitcoin, go buy Bitcoin. Remember when I told you it was $12,000 last summer? Yeah, it's 60 now. You would have gotten five times your money. What makes you think it's going to stop? What, you think Bitcoin all of a sudden is just going to fall to zero? No, it's not. It's going to keep going up. Sure, it's volatile. But it made me 439% last year. That's pretty good. A little bit better than the S&P. You know, I said, I said, so, some friends contact me and they say, hey, I bought some Bitcoin. I bought $500 worth. And, and, and these people have money. And not just one, lots of people. Oh, man, I finally bought some. I bought $250 worth. And, and I, I mean, I don't get it. Like, look at the last 10 years. It's gone up a few thousand percent. There's no excuse. One day, these people that are not putting real money into Bitcoin are going to kick themselves. I kick myself, and I've been in it since 2013. This whole thing with the cryptocurrency and, and me doing a deep dive into macroeconomics and the financial system of our country has just made me realize that most people do not understand the, the way that money works. They don't understand borrowing and lending. They're very emotional about the feeling of having debt. And all these things are just, just because people have never been educated. And I get that. I don't understand for the life of me why the public school system spends 12 years teaching history and zero teaching personal finance. Doesn't it make sense that we should familiarize kids with the idea of investing and saving from day one? Shouldn't we implement little programs in their life that rewards them if they delay some gratification? Why do parents not do this? I don't understand. I'm not a parent. I'm sure you're saying out there, well, you're not a parent. You don't know what it's like to be a parent, so you can't say what parents do because you're not a parent. You never had kids before. And you kids aren't dogs and you're a dog trainer. But why don't we do that? And, and I realize, I think I know why. Because my grandparents' generation, they came through the Great Depression. They didn't invest. It was all about saving. Because if you invested during the Great Depression, you got your ass handed to you. So they were all savers. Before that, before the stock market, we didn't really have, there wasn't really much to invest in other than land. And so the only way you had land is if you worked hard for it and you acquired it. You accomplished that through saving. So my great-grandparents' generation had no money. The most they could do is save. My grandparents' generation learned that if you, put your stock, if you put your money in the stock market, it could crash and you could lose it all. And so they taught that to my parents' generation, who also came up with this thing called credit. And so they learned that instead of saving, instead of investing, you can borrow and increase your standard of living higher of what it would be otherwise. The problem with that is that if something goes wrong, you don't have the savings to deal with it causes you to take on more debt. So I think slowly we're evolving 
uh, the generation below mine, Gen Z, they, they get it. They understand it. They're buying crypto. They're buying stocks. They're buying real estate. And man, it makes me so happy. But, but they're still, they're figuring it out on their own. They're learning about it like they learn about sex by watching porn on the internet. No one's teaching them. No one's talking to them. They're not, they're not just experimenting. They're just watching videos and going and doing it. And that's the same thing with their investing. So my whole point is it's not too late. All you need to know how to do is buy and hold. And so I don't know. I'm thinking about starting some kind of group, some kind of collective um, group of people that share ideas in investing. And we all have everyone's best interest at heart. And I'm happy to lead this group. I'm happy to take a seat and let someone else lead it. I just think it would be good to organize a group of people that, that maybe could collectively invest. Maybe they could all pitch in. And all these types of things are going to be possible with, with cryptocurrency and digital money. Maybe we start a program that is a group of 50 people and we start our own little bank. We have our own borrowing and lending system. And, you know, if somebody's car breaks down and they need to borrow $4,000 to get it fixed and they don't have... But they don't want to go to a bank because banks are high interest rate or put it on a credit card. Maybe the family could all pitch in and would all pay, pay a couple hundred bucks. And you get the loan, you get the terms, you pay the money back with interest. Everyone invests in you because they know you're a hard worker. You don't have to worry about your credit score. And then everyone wins. You get your car fixed, you get the loan, you pay it back. And, and people that don't have good credit by default aren't going to pay the families back. So the families aren't going to loan them money. So I don't know. This, this eventually will happen within the next, who knows, two to 10 years, but there's no reason why we can't do it now. So if you're interested in starting this, I don't know what it would look like. I don't know, I don't know if I'm going to charge for it. I don't know how much time of mine it's going to take, but eventually I think it would be good to have groups of people that all exchange ideas and work together to invest. I don't know. If you don't want to do any of that, if you don't care, if that's not important to you, take some money and go buy Bitcoin. Take more money than you feel comfortable doing. I'm not saying go leverage your house. I'm saying invest enough to make it sting, make it hurt, because one day you're going to wish you to put more. I, <laughs> I find it odd. I've probably told this to hundreds of people, and I think zero of them have actually done it. So uh, it's crazy to me, super crazy, but it's a, it's a testament to how we feel about investing. And so that all came together to me this week, and I wanted to bring it up, talk about it here. And I'm probably going to quit telling people to do it because they just do, they don't do it anyway. So why would I even, I guess, so that I can go back in the, in the future and say, well, I, remember, I told you, I told you so. <laughs> I talked to a guy the other night that I remember when my investment multiplied by 10. I bought Bitcoin for $500 each. And when they were at $5,000 each, which is a 10x return, I told my friend, who's very close to me, go buy it. Go buy some right now. He didn't do it. He didn't do it. Now Bitcoin's worth 60000 a piece. And he's still not doing it. <laughs> he's a, one of the smartest guys I know. What can you do? What can you do? All right, man, this may be the longest podcast ever. I'm at 56 minutes in the recording time. Probably will come out. I'm going to guess it comes out to 50. 49 to 50 is going to be my guess after I do all the cutouts. You don't hear the things like me screaming at the dog for the dogs barking at squirrels. Uh, you don't hear the things like the air conditioner cutting on. You don't get to hear all that. So I appreciate you listening to the Life in Paradise podcast. Help me think of a new name. I don't know what to call the new podcast. It's not Life in Paradise, but I just, I don't know. I still say that. I'm your host, Brandon Harper. I appreciate you listening. Go out there, be bold, express your ideas, invest some freaking money, get some exercise, play with your dog, enjoy the weather, be thankful for what you have, 
Study other countries to help you appreciate how great this country is. If you don't like it, I advise you go try living somewhere else. Just try it out. Just try. Go live somewhere where they don't have cars or backyards. Tell me how great it is. All right, that's it. I'm signing off. I got to go to work. It's Saturday. It's the night before Halloween, Halloween party. I'm Fred Flintstone. BH out. Keep it tranquil. This is-